Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia Baker-Whitelaw, and here is my co-host, Morgan Davies. Hello. So this week we are discussing the new six-episode Disney Plus Marvel series, Loki, starring our beloved Tom Hiddleston, who we have enjoyed in many a film. But this TV show in general, we were extremely underwhelmed by by the end. There were definitely a lot of elements I enjoyed, particularly in the the kind of middle episodes, but um, yikes. So just to give like a, we'll talk kind of like more about the, the general plot in a minute, but just to give like a brief intro, it is set after the first two Thor movies. So kind of prior to his later appearances in the franchise, starting a new branching timeline where Loki is plucked out of the end of the for the first Avengers movie by an organization known as the Time Variance Authority, aka the TVA, which is represented by a sort of government official type guy named Mobius, played by Owen Wilson. And this introduces us to the concept of branching timelines in general, which has been a concept largely kind of avoided by the MCU in the past. And the show is both a vehicle to introduce alternate realities to the MCU, which is kind of how the comics work, like there's multiple timelines at once, and also a vehicle for Loki to be the protagonist of his own story. So it's kind of a anti-Doctor Who story where he can travel to different points in time and he's initially recruited by the TVA to hunt down a different timeline variant version of Loki who is causing trouble for the TVA. Yes, you've done a good job of summing up the basic plot of this show. It was just so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess I have more sophisticated things to say, but... This happens every time we talk about a Marvel thing at this point, which is just the, like they are not making good stuff. Yeah. And again, every time we talk about a Marvel thing, we wind up doing like a big bird's eye view of the whole project, which they are inviting by connecting every single thing that they make to all the other stuff they're making. And by really pushing the idea, which is clearly true, that Kevin Feige who is, I don't even know what his title is, but like he's the person in charge of, (laughs) yeah, the boss, is really like the architect of all of this, as opposed to having individual films made by like auteur directors. There obviously are some exceptions. Taika Waititi, I think, is the prime example of someone who really got away with murder in the sense that like he just ran away to Australia and was like, I'm doing what I want and uh, good luck controlling me. But with the TV stuff in particular... I think it's pretty much useless to talk about, like, the writer and director. There is no showrunner on a Marvel show, which is the big thing. Their official title is head writer, because they are not in charge of the overall... They are taking the similar role to the showrunner, but legally they're the head writer, which in this case is a guy named Michael Waldron, who previously worked on uh, Rick and Morty, which is a show I've not watched because I kind of didn't think it was going to be something I'd be into, but I know that some people like it. And that's kind of his main previous job to this was as a staff writer on uh, on Rick and Morty. And now he is kind of ascended first as the lead writer of Loki and now he's going to be kind of focusing on the overarching multiverse plans for like the next phase of the MCU, including a co-writing credit on the next Doctor Strange film. Every episode of this series was directed by Kate Heron. 
with any Marvel product, there's always like various kind of artistic concerns where the franchise is not going to really have much flair. Like I don't have high expectations for, you know, costume design and lighting, you know, sort of like anything involving any particular technical ingenuity. But that's also not something that I necessarily need from the franchise. Like I think the really big important weak spot with this show is the writing, which is unbelievably shallow and simplistic. And regarding the character of Loki himself, by the end of the series, I was just like, this completely misunderstands both the concept and the appeal of this character. Because <laughs> you have Tom Hiddleston, who is this incredibly charming and funny comedic performer. And in the earlier episodes, they do kind of capitalize on that. But in the back half of the series, there is like no jokes. And also, Loki is the god of mischief and deception. And in order to present him as a protagonist rather than a sort of comedy sidekick or antagonist, which he is in the other films, it's like Marvel doesn't understand how to make a main character who isn't like a good person fighting against a villain monster. Because they literally make him like the most bland hero who's sort of arguing in, in favor of like morality and authority and safety by the end of it. And it's like, what's the point? Like, why is this about Loki? Like, we all love Tom Hiddleston. Loki is a really popular character. I don't think people actually want to see him be like, I love peace, man. Well, this is the thing, right? I have a lot to say about Tom Hiddleston, as I always do whenever the topic <laughs> comes up. But like in this show in particular, but to, again, to do the like big picture Marvel thing, I don't think they've ever made like a great movie. I think the best movies they've made are like B plus generously, right? But if you look at their earlier films, I think you do have more of a range of like, I think Iron Man is really good. There are things that are very dated about that for sure in terms of like Bush era stuff. But the stuff that's good about it, like Robert Downey Jr. just like riffing for two hours yeah. are really, really fun, right? The screwball stuff in that movie is fantastic. Then you have Iron Man 2, which is like an absolute like heinous catastrophe because they don't have the quality control set. Yeah. I Similarly, think what happened is Elon Musk, once he got a cameo in that film, he just poisoned the whole film. <laughs> That's bad vibes. Oh, God. But like the first two Captain America movies, again, I don't think they're like fine cinema, but I think they're really good and do have ideas. Like, and they have some, a compelling and coherent happened. emotional arc. Yes. And the first Thor movie is like a delight because there is an idea happening in that film. Like, it's easy to make fun of the rationale of hiring Kenneth Branagh to do that because it's Shakespearean, but like actually that is kind of the concept behind that movie. Obviously it is not nearly as sophisticated as a Shakespeare play, but like all of the family drama in that, like that's the, the emotion whole is very idea, sincere right? and it also kind of feels like a small movie because like instead yes. of ending in like a huge space battle, it's like a kind of ultimately emotional and thematic dispute that ends in like Thor hitting like a big robot for 30 seconds. And then it's like, we're, it's mostly about like Thor and Loki, which is why it's so great. And now we've got to this yeah. point where like everything has to escalate the tension to an absurd degree. Yeah. I think once they, you you get like post winter soldier, Ragnarok is great. Black Panther is very good. I like that movie slightly less than some people, I think, because I think it's more structurally similar to a lot of these other superhero movies than people sometimes admit because the other elements of it are so strong. But aside from those two, basically everything they've done for the past seven-ish years has been virtually identical. And you get the sense of like the corporation 
like squeezing down so hard on any ideas that anyone has had to the point where now in the past couple of years they are just making like garbage and there's nothing to recommend these even in a sense of like yeah this isn't a great movie but like i had fun that was entertaining i'm now fully at the level of like this is actively not enjoyable to me, even on a well, superficial like basis, right? Like, the, thing, it just sucks. the thing with like the Disney Plus shows is to give in-depth screen time to characters who are not protagonists of the films and to sort of expand the franchise kind of like solo comics, right? And like we discussed this in the WandaVision podcast, but I think now we've seen three of these shows, there is like an extremely obvious recurring problem where Disney wants people to take these shows seriously, which people do to kind of like too deep a degree because like they're not, they're not, they're completely incoherent. But each of these shows has some kind of mature, sensible theme, which is stated outright both in the text and extensively in the marketing materials. So it's like one division is like about grief and trauma and the Falcon of the Winter Soldier is about sort of patriotism and the Falcon's role as like a black superhero. And then this show is about free will versus chaos with, you know, Loki is informed by the TVA that like he shouldn't exist because he's branched off from his preordained timeline. But the problem with all three of these shows, as many people have now pointed out, is that like, it's like, oh, there's this theme. It's very exciting. This show's got a theme. We need to take it very seriously. And clearly people did because, you know, the first two have been nominated for a fuck ton of Emmys. But once they've stated the theme, they don't like do anything with it. So WandaVision kind of peters out after they've been like, oh, it's about grief and trauma. It's like, well, we've experienced some grief. So like, how are we going to like dig into this? They don't because they have to conclude it with like a big battle. And it's like, oh, well, she like perpetuated her trauma on a bunch of random villagers. And now she's just going to like scoot off to be a side character in Doctor Strange. So it doesn't conclude thoughtfully or dig into those emotional themes in the same way that Marvel's better solo comics really do because there's some really incredible marvel comics that are like very sophisticated storytelling and then with loki it's kind of a bit shakier as a concept because the problems in the story are kind of less related to real life but when they kind of introduce the clash between loki and the tva it's quite an obvious opposing figures right because loki is this he's this agent of chaos who loves mischief and loves fun and rebellion and doesn't like people telling him what to do. But he also kind of wants power because he thinks that he ought to be a prince because he was adopted into a family of royalty. And he's still got that massive chip in his shoulder because it's just after the Avengers. And also that's kind of his role, right? Like he's the guy who injects a bunch of chaos into the story. And then the TVA is this really overtly authoritarian agency. There is like jackbooted guards going around arresting people and like the first episode involves Loki going through something which is pretty much explicitly a kind of immigrant processing facility but then as the kind of show moves forward into like different phases like the he meets up with the variant Loki which is a woman played a woman named Sylvie who is played by the British actress Sophia DiMartino so like they have a female Loki they have this as a sort of two-part kind of Doctor Who adventures through time show for like three or four episodes with her And then kind of the conclusion of the story is like there's this revelation that the TVA is not actually watched over by these all-powerful godlike beings known as the timekeepers who are like getting everyone to keep to remain safe on the sacred timeline and avoid like chaotic offshoots. Instead there's like a secret man behind the curtain. And the final episode, instead of doing anything that's kind of connected with the prior story, introduces this new villain played by Jonathan Majors 
He's playing Kang the Conqueror, who is a Marvel villain. And then there's like a 20 minute exposition scene where he explains all this stuff to do with multiverse theory, which is like not necessary to explain in the slightest. And it culminates in this villain being like, well, now you two Lokis have made your way here and found me. You have two options. Either you kill me and send the multiverse into disarray because there is no longer a Kang and a TVA kind of keeping things controlled, or you can replace me as the new lords of the sacred timeline and you will get to rule. And it's like a completely absurd choice because it's like, oh, do you love authoritarianism or do you love chaos with like a supervillain? And because it's like a binary choice, the narratively interesting response to this would obviously be for Loki to find a third way because he is a, you know, a strategic mastermind who likes to find his way out of weird scrapes. Like that is the mythical purpose of Loki as a character, you know. He's the guy who gets away, he he avoids getting beheaded in one of the Norse myths because he says they can't take any of his neck. Like that is the role of Loki. And instead, they have this conflict where Sylvie, the female Loki, is like, we have to kill Kang. And Loki's like, mm, I'm not sure about that. It sounds too dangerous. I want to I want to be cautious here. There might be loads of danger if there's like a war between the multiverses. And it kind of culminates in him sort of, and him and implicitly the show, arguing in favour of authority and safety as if this like evil government agency is kind of almost necessary. Like the show doesn't fully endorse them, but it was really reminiscent of the way all the other Marvel movies have some element of criticizing authority and they then are like, well, we do need the US Air Force to protect us from terrorism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going just on like the text of the show, clearly the bad decision is to kill this dude, right? Which indeed turns out to be the case because she kills him and then that leads to like a nebulous bad situation that we don't fully get to see because that's like season two. But that is like bad. Like that's <laughs> That's not good storytelling. That's not satisfying emotionally or politically based on the world or what we've seen of the narrative so far. It just doesn't make any sense. We need to talk about the like stupidity of everything to do with the Loki character in this show. But before we get to that, I guess I'll just say about the whole thing with Kang in this episode. Like, Jonathan Majors is so stupendously talented. He was, he sort of broke out with The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which we've mentioned on the pod before, which is such a great movie. And I think he should have like won an Oscar for that film. He's extraordinary in it. And I was just like, oh yes, the same thing that happened to Tom Hiddleston is going to happen to you, which is that you had this breakout in this like unbelievable indie film. And then you're just going to be sucked in this garbage for years and years and years. And he kind of pulls that speech off because he's so talented. I mean, talented he's incredibly and watchable and like yeah. Effectively like the way he is playing Kang is original character like he in the comics he's like this sort of 1970s silver age sort of megalomaniac alien king and here they he's given him a lot of idiosyncrasies in a way that doesn't seem overly campy and he delivers essentially a 20 to 25 minute exposition scene in a way that isn't too boring, even though it is like fucking boring. So I'm just like, why are you telling me about the multiverse? But I was, I was very impressed by Jonathan Majors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, he's a great actor, but by the end of that scene, I was just like, this is absurd. I was losing it. I was like, this is half the episode. It was so long. It was so long. And, and it's the thing so... is also, none of it is necessary. Cause like you no. can literally no. in 
Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, they literally are just like, well, a portal, a portal opened, people are coming in from different universes. And as a human being who's experienced stories before, we are all able to look at that and be like, oh, okay, cool. Like, we've heard of Narnia. Well, <laughs> right. And like, I am, I don't read comics, but like, I have some grasp of like, science fiction, right? And so you, that's all I need complicated. to be like, sure, done. The lack of necessity of having this exposition and also like before he was introduced um there was obviously kind of a lot of speculation that he would be in it because there's various elements of kang the conqueror's mythos that kind of appear earlier in the show and also because it's a time travel show with an unseen villain a lot of people were theorizing that it was kang and i was like yes there's so much stuff here that's pointing towards it being kang but why on earth would you make a a six episode tv series where the final episode's big twist is there's some guy you've never seen before having to introduce himself. And when it happened, I was like, oh yeah, it is Marvel. They are going to make that kind of appalling idea. (laughs) Well, it just goes back to their thing now, which is that there is never any resolution to anything. And the only function of any of this is to get you to watch the next thing. And obviously, even with the earlier movies, like, they're obviously setting up sequels. But... It's gotten to the point where there is no satisfaction at all. It's just, and none of it means anything. So you're just like, I've eaten empty calories for six hours, and now they want me to go eat more empty calories because they just want to suck you in, right? Like, it's just about profit, essentially. But let's talk about Tom Hiddleston and Loki as a character, because that was the chief chief offense of this to me which we have been talking about privately and you've been writing about my extremely basic breakdown when i was writing about earlier episodes was i kind of explained that like in his kind of marvel role and somewhat also in his mythological role but in his marvel character role he kind of vacillates between these three kind of personality points which is just like cackling supervillain emotional vulnerability and comedy and that's kind of the, the the three points of the triangle for Loki's role in the MCU. And in The Avengers, he's like a straight villain. And then in the first Thor movie, he's a lot more vulnerable because it's kind of his origin story to do with like finding out that he's adopted and like he's been betrayed by his family and there's all this tension between him and his brother because they have really different personalities. And then Thor Ragnarok is much more towards comedy because they've revolved they've resolved a lot of the underlying issues and he's not matured, but like he's grown he's grown to a different type of immaturity. Um and he is like a really compelling character that you can do a lot of interesting stuff with. And people can very easily relate to his story without him being like an admirable hero, you know, which we as viewers understand, but Disney seems to struggle with given what we've just seen in this show. But for his role in the show, after like the first couple of episodes, like I said, they really sap all of the sense of humour out of him. But like his entire kind of mode of being has just been forgotten because the writing is like so shallow and clumsy in this. You know, it's first of all, like every episode is very thin. Like there's very little that happens in terms of like character development or plot or even like basic kind of conversation, you know, like people are stating stuff really obviously and kind of explaining what's going on as if they think someone's like had a head injury halfway through watching the episode. It's like, I remember what (laughs) happened half an hour ago, you know, but like he's not doing mischief or manipulating people or really 
deceiving anyone particularly. And there's definitely an interesting tension in like between the relationship between Sylvie and Loki, where they set up these two characters who aren't actually that similar. And you can understand why he'd really be compelled to make this woman trust him because he's desperately lonely. He wants someone who can understand him. But she isn't strongly enough characterized to really make that work because while Sofia DiMartino like gives a good performance and you kind of, they've got like a watchable rapport between them. The show just keeps telling us that she's really impressive, but she doesn't actually do that much stuff that is impressive after her kind of initial appearances, which is something that happens quite a lot, particularly with like female characters, I think, in this type of like genre piece. I mean, obviously it's not like a major problem in the MCU where there are quite a lot of interesting female characters, but I was like, she's not really feeling particularly distinctive. And at this point, neither of them are acting like a Loki and they're not smart. And like when I was watching this the same week as, as, as Black Widow, in Black Widow, Natasha isn't smart. Like you need to write these characters as intelligent people who are making interesting and insightful decisions based on their social acuity, which is not happening. It's completely absent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the writing is just completely abysmal. And again, like, I'm loath to attribute that to the actual writers of the show, though who knows what's going on. Because obviously the corporation is exerting so much control over this that, like, they are obviously the people who are really authoring authoring this. But but the writing is, is atrocious. And I, too, kept thinking, like, it's just not smart enough for this character, whose, like, chief traits are that he is very clever and ultimately always kind of gets outwitted because the moral yeah. universe has to sort of come out on top in the end. Like, chaos cannot ultimately reign because these are Hollywood pictures. But this is the thing, right? Because it's like, in, in the narrative arc of this show, if they had done basically the same plot in a good way, you would have had Loki trying to undermine the TVA at every turn and like betraying people and like making friends with the agents and then betraying them and then feeling bad about betraying them because actually he likes Mobius, which is something they do like once and then abandon. And then in the finale, you have him fight in favor of chaos, which is the opposite of what he does, but is what he should have yep. done with Kang. Kill Kang being like, amazing, we're going to create all this amazing, like fantastic new timelines. There's going to be so much cool conflict and I'm going to be king. And then it ends with him realizing he's completely fucked up, which is like the classic repetitive Loki arc. Yeah. And they just didn't do that. <laughs> well, what they do with Sylvie instead, who, again, I think DiMartino is a good actor. Like, I think she gives a good performance. I hadn't seen her in anything, I don't think. But that character, I agree, I think is very underwritten. And they just basically make her, like, she always outwits him. Which gave me a feeling of, like, she's a woman, so they want to have her be the smarter one. But, again, there's not enough detail or depth to make that interesting in any and way. She's not, but also, yeah, she's not doing it in a way that like feels like an achievement, you know? She's not done no. something where you're like, oh, I'm impressed. <laughs> Instead, it's just him acting dumb, which is not satisfying because he's supposed to be so unbelievably sharp. Yeah, he's meant to be undercut by his self-absorption and moral failings. <laughs> yes. Not because he's a dummy, which is basically what this show does. I also do not understand the point of making a show about Loki where much of it takes place in a setting where he has no access to his magical powers. Like, that doesn't seem fun. Unless you're going to do something with that that's, like, really intentional. 
it's literally it's do. literally the same thing as like filmmakers saying stuff in the 90s because they don't want to use cell phones marvel does yeah. not know what to do with magic which is like one division yeah. was so great in that they had all these illusions which like didn't feel like magic because it's just like filming different set stories in a set which is a really smart way to do this but as soon as you get to actual quote-unquote magic it's like here's a cgi light show <laughs> yeah and even in the settings where he theoretically does have access to magic like outside of the tva he's not really doing anything <laughs> because they don't know what to do and it's just so incredibly unsatisfying and i also think that tom hiddleston whom we both love so much is just not very good when he's given a role that's like a straightforward action hero type thing. So for the first episode or two, I was like, this is not great, but like, it's entertaining enough. And like, I love Tom Hiddleston. So it's like fun, at least to see him kind of do his thing, right? But as soon as the comedy starts kind of leeching away, and he's doing more straightforward drama stuff, and like, he is an excellent dramatic actor, but he doesn't have any material. Right, and he has to be doing, like, real drama, and specifically he's really good at characters who, like, have a chip on their shoulder, or have a kind of narcissistic personality in some way, or, like, hiding a secret. And he tried to be a big movie star, he did that fucking King Kong movie, and it did not make any money. And he's- and the Night Manager, the John le Carre adaptation, which people seem to like, but I thought was totally atrocious. I think he's really bad in that because again, it's the same. He's basically just playing like a noble Englishman and like, he is not good at that. And I found him pretty bad in the second half of the show through no fault of his own. But it's like, there's these kind of weird dual problems in that like, as I said, they've removed all the personality traits we recognize in Loki and the kind of thematic relevance of his role. But he actually kind of becomes like a passive character in his own story right because it's simultaneously a quest narrative where they're trying to find the man behind the curtain but they've positioned him as someone who's following sylvie because he loves her which is an idea i actually find quite interesting and can get into but they don't flesh out enough because it just doesn't really make sense like they haven't really illustrated who Sylvie is as a person so like everyone who's really invested in that has done the classic Marvel emotional heavy lifting in their own brains which I fully endorse but is uh, still means the show is bad you know (laughs) yes it just doesn't function correctly and he comes across really downbeat and he doesn't get to talk a lot like he doesn't get a the monologues that Tom Hiddleston is really good at and b the sort of fast talking witty stuff that Loki is meant to be doing yeah And with the romance in particular, like, there's so much potential for this, like, weird, perverse stuff, which obviously Marvel's not going to do. But, like, you're falling in love with a version of yourself. Like, there's a lot of potential there, right? He's like, Like, I found a version of myself who's a top. Like, very exciting for Loki. (laughs) But that is so not what the show... I mean, as you said earlier, she doesn't... There's nothing about her that seems Loki-ish. Based on our previous understanding of that character before this show... She's just, like, a lady who, like, is good at punching people. I mean, the amount of, like, physical action that they both do, because that's Marvel's idea of, like, how this stuff works, when that is not historically what Loki has really done or what the point or appeal of that character is, because he's supposed to be kind of above that because of the magic, right? But, like, their vision 
of like what a heroic character does in these films and now TV is that like they have to punch people. Like it's just so fucking boring. I also found it notable that like in the show where they finally confirm that Loki is bisexual, he basically wears like business casual the entire time and has his first love interest who is a woman. I was like, interesting. Okay. Like, <laughs> Obviously I am not going to endorse the discourse where people are like, Loki kissing a woman is bi erasure. Cause like, that's not how being bi works. But I agree that this is his straightest kind of MCU portrayal, thematically speaking, because yeah, I agree yes. with the business casual thing, which I honestly hadn't even picked up on, but absolutely true. Very funny. But also, before the show began, I wrote this like big feature article that was kind of about the background of Loki as a gender fluid character, but both like in the comics, which he is canonically in the Marvel comics in a really interesting and well-drawn way. And also in classic Norse Norse mythology. And it's like a really popular element of the fandom. There's loads of kind of cosplay and fan fiction and stuff like exploring Loki's gender identity and how that kind of ties into both his outlook on the world and his shape-shifting abilities. And I interviewed loads of interesting people and it was just like thoughtfully discussed topic elsewhere in the Marvel sphere. And obviously I don't think that like the MCU was ever going to reintroduce him as a gender fluid character but like the way the show kind of introduces like the female loki and loki's bisexuality is like so it's just so funny and heteronormative because yeah in like in the comics his role thematically is queer right like he's an opposing force to these very macho heroes who are kind of part of you know a nuclear family unit in the case of thor and his parents And he's this outsider and he is a queer-coded villain in a lot of the classic comics in a very recognisable way, like both in kind of his appearance and mannerisms and in the way that he like fits into the story structure. And that is also the way he is in Norse mythology as well. Like there are various, like, you know, Odin kind of is also like that as well in a a lot of Norse myths. But like he performs magic, which is traditionally feminine and that sort of thing. There's a lot going on. I will link to the article in the show notes. And that is also something that happens in the original Thor film because it it also kind of puts him and Thor across purposes. He isn't someone who's like paired up with women. He is a queer-coded villain. He is an outsider. There's a reason why people identify with him in that manner. And then in this this show, they like remove that whole element. Yeah. And like, again, I want to reiterate what you said about like, obviously him being bisexual does not mean that he cannot kiss a woman absolutely but the whole manner in which that romance is like done in the show felt so boring to me and like not based in anything interesting right so like it felt like they were kind of just like okay let's put them together and like here we go and I was like cool like (laughs) Well, exactly. Because it's like, I think in my review of episode five, where they sort of really started to kind of lean into the more romantic subtext of that relationship, I was like, it is truly wild that they have framed his relationship here in the same sort of narrative context as the extremely heteronormative relationships we see among the main Avengers, where he's talking about like, once we have achieved this defeat of the evil villain we as heroes can retire to the farmstead you know yes (laughs) it's like he's like oh we can have a future together and it can be peaceful and i'm like that is antithetical to the concept of loki 
yeah, you guys can run off together, but like as Bonnie and Clyde, you know, <laughs> not as like we have to perform this task heroically and then we will have achieved the things that we can earn our marriage from. Like, <laughs> I mean, people have written about this extensively and I think this is a good example of like the idea that these sort of coded characters from art in eras where like it was not really possible to be more explicit about the queerness of those characters can just be so much more interesting and fun than the current yeah. Hollywood regime where they'll be like, yes, let's put in one line, but then we're going to do everything we can to like placate everybody else. Right. And that's so sort of stale and boring and like uninteresting. And I think comparing the like Loki character in the first Thor film to this on that specific front, it's very apparent to me, which is like more generative, right? But they get to pat themselves on the back and be like, we've made him bisexual. It's like, congratulations. Like, good for you. I mean, I was saying this about Jonathan Majors in terms of like the career stuff, but it, and we talk about this all the time with Hollywood now and with Marvel in particular, but it is staggering how depressing Tom Hiddleston's career is like we've I'm sure we've talked about this on the podcast and we've definitely talked about it on Twitter but I do think it is worth reiterating I'm gonna actually look up how long it's been since he last played a non-Loki character on screen it's been like five years it's unbelievable how long this has been going on at this point he did a voice role in a film in 2018 he was in Kong Skull Island in 2017 which was really the thing that like torpedoed his like leading man I think career, that was also kind of the point when a- like he had that big like potentially showman's relationship with taylor swift yeah. yeah there were all these rumors that he was trying to become james bond but like i don't know how verifiable that part was <laughs> yeah and 2015 he was in crimson peak high rise and i saw the light which was the uh hank williams biopic which did not go anywhere puzzlingly miscast yeah And none of those did very well. Crimson Peak, obviously, stupendous film, but it was a disappointment at the box office because it was mismarketed. And that and I Saw the Light, I think, were both, again, like, expected to do better than they did. Kongskull Island, then Disaster. That's two years later. And then since then, he has done nothing on screen except play Loki. This is an embarrassment to Hollywood. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on in his personal life, obviously, who who knows? But like, it's not like he has been working. It's just that he's only been playing Loki in Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame. He did the voice for a short Simpsons movie this year, The Good, The Bard, and The Loki. He was in Loki, the show. Uh, he did a play on Broadway that I saw that was great. But like, if you look at his early stuff, I think it's interesting to think about him in the context of some of the other actors on the show who also are fantastic. Um, Gugum Bathara is like an incredible actor. And Wunmi Musaku, who has had a very big past year with Lovecraft Country and His House, was that the title of that movie? Yeah, great movie. Yeah. Like, Gugum Bathara had had one really big leading role in Beyond the Lights in 2014 and has basically just worked a ton but not been given very good roles. She's also very depressing. She's also had like several movies that kind of almost were like her big breakout and it's happened like multiple times and then she's yeah. kind of backslid into a supporting role. So it's like she's getting loads yeah. of stuff and people know who she is, but she's not like at the the Hiddleston point. <laughs> yeah. 
and but she should be a big movie star. And I thought she was going to be after Beyond the Lights, and uh, it didn't happen. But with Hiddleston in particular, I think because he did get these huge opportunities early in his career to be in really in like stupendous indie movies. So the first stuff he did in his career was he was in a few movies by Joanna Hogg, who did The Souvenir. Archipelago is the one I would most recommend. He is so incredible in that movie, playing a very different kind of character than he usually plays. The Deep Blue Sea with Rachel Weisz, that's maybe his best performance, I think, the supporting role. He is so good in that movie, playing a veteran of World War II in sort of like the late 40s, early 50s, who clearly is has not gotten over that experience. He was in Only Lovers Left Alive and then Crimson Peak and High Rise. And like, that's not a huge number of movies, but that's a really impressive slate. And he was doing theater the whole time too. And so we know what he's capable of, right? And so then it's so painful for him to be doing this garbage. (laughs) And it's like, either he is enjoying his riches and doing like this Loki stuff, which gains him a lot of, praise and is probably quite easy to do or i mean he has the worst agent ever because like he should be doing like you know if only hollywood still made the screwball comedy i know it is an interesting case because i think he got really spooked by the few movies especially the kong one that went terribly badly and then has kind of retreated into this And I think all this stuff is horrible, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to be like, yeah, I've got a good paycheck. Sure. It's that nothing else is happening. Like, this is taken over Hollywood, right? It's not just one thing that Hollywood does. It's everything. And, like, I saw him in Betrayal, which was a Pinter play, and he was so good in that. And, like, I think that's meant to be one of the more accessible Pinter plays, but it's still Pinter. Like, it's pretty difficult. And so it's not like he's just given up on challenging stuff. People need to send him their scripts. Because I feel like, I mean, yeah, he's an attractive, talented, well-liked white man. Like, this shouldn't be hard. <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? It's like, part of, again, the reason why I'm so frustrated is that, like, I find him really attractive. I would like to watch him in more things. <laughs> but if he can't, if he's having this problem, then the Gugumbatharas of the world, who are completely equally deserving right it's like oh my god (laughs) i mean i think she's finding interesting roles because she will take like a variety of smaller lower paying films which is like not good but also can be good but on the topic of loki do we have any final thoughts on the actual show (laughs) before we get further sidetracked (laughs) it's terrible and don't watch it that's my recommendation if anyone is listening to this who has not watched the show it's a complete waste of time not even entertaining Richard E. Grant's little outfit was great, although he was underutilized as a screen presence. Quite a fun little cameo, though. He played one of the many variant Lokis. I would say that the music in this show is above par by Marvel standards, composed by Natalie Holt. Cinematography, very bad. Yeah. I could barely see anything. I just... It's so murky. I felt like it was framed better than a lot of the Marvel stuff often is, like... There was clearly someone who had some grasp of like how the camera works behind it, but the lighting was completely atrocious. Yeah. I mean, it's something I find quite frustrating because like 
whenever one of these shows or movies comes out, there'll be like a bunch of Marvel stands on social media being like, incredible lighting, show looks gorgeous, amazing film. And it'll be like a bunch of screenshots where it's like the whole screen is one color. And I'm like, one color is not like good. Like certainly there are many films where a certain color scheme can be incredibly compelling. But what Marvel does does is just have incredibly low contrast, murky, darkly filmed, flat palette and then blast it with like bright purple or bright green or green or something and i'm like you can't see what's happening it doesn't look good and there's no contrast like if this was in black and white it would be like a mirage of gray blurs (laughs) (laughs) uh sadly they don't listen to us um so we will be discussing a film tbd next week um, we have a couple Patreon requests and we're sorting through them. But you can check our Twitter for updates about that. Uh, thank you for listening, as always, to this rant about a show we did not like. Um, especially if you enjoyed it, you know, thank you for sticking around. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. Gavia, where can our listeners find you and your work online? You can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at ML Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at overinvestedpod. Our Tumblr is overinvestedpodcast. And our website is overinvestedpodcast.com. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>